scripture is from the book of Mark. Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of one verse. There will be many other parts of this book that we reference. The Gospel of Mark, verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning, realizing, dear Lord, that I am not adequate to deliver this message. I thank you for the words of truth that's been recorded. Lord, we hold the scripture close to our heart, realizing, dear Lord, that it has come to us at great cost to many to preserve this word. Lord, we know that it's assailed today. There are those that are trying to destroy it, those that are undermining it, those that are altering it. But we thank you, dear Lord, that the word of God is forever settled in heaven. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'll help us, help me especially, Lord, this morning as I try to proclaim the truth of the word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I was thinking about what I was going to use for the message this week, we are in the Christmas season. There are many scriptures, prophecies, many stories in the Gospels could be used. Elsewhere through the, through the New Testament could be referenced, and I'm sure that many of those things could be enlightening to us. But a thought came to me, uh, and I, I won't say that it's the first time I thought this, but I thought of credentials. Credentials. Uh, credentials, you know, that's something that when uh, we're dealing with professional people, uh, we look to see what their qualifications are. Who said that they know what they're talking about? Who said that we can trust in what they tell us? comes to mind that a doctor, when you go see the doctor, do you read those papers that are in, encased on the wall to see where a doctor went to school, what his accomplishments are, or um, do you care? Is it just like it doesn't matter why you're cluttering the wall up with those things? Uh, you might as well just go on and get on with what you're doing and we're not going to worry about any of that where you went to school or, or how you graduated, if you graduated high up in your class or you were on the bottom level. Who really cares? Well, we do care, don't we? We want to know the qualifications. We use words like diplomas and uh, we use words like... Uh, Certificates, 
and, uh, and we look for those things. If we go into a law office, we want to know if this person really knows their stuff. And sometimes we think they do, sometimes we're disappointed maybe with uh, what the performance is. But we're looking, we're looking for those evidences. Uh, a judge that uh, is presiding, we, we look at what, what gives them the qualification to administer the law and uh, to mete out sentences and so forth. I read, the, I do read the police reports in the paper. Sometimes it's kind of amazing. Uh, not only the police reports, but I also read the court actions and uh, what people have been charged with and what their sentences are. Uh, a lot of times I don't know them. I, I, I hope. I hope I don't really know, <laughs> depending on what they've done. Now, if it's a seatbelt or some thing that's not consequential to society, maybe individual well-being, but maybe not consequential to society. I'm, I'm sad if I see somebody that I've had confidence in. I see that They've been in court on a certain charge. Amazing some of the things that uh, you read, some of the things that are done. And uh, sometimes uh, we're surprised. But we have somebody that's adjudicating, that's uh, judging, that's determining. And so they have... They have proof that they have gone through a certain course of study, that they have spent time, and we can, we can put a fair amount of confidence in what they have done to prepare themselves. Um, I, I know firsthand about a young lady now that uh, is training to be a, a nurse and uh, is being tested time after time. I mean, uh, she doesn't go two or three days of being in class until <clears throat> there's some major test <clears throat> and she has to have high score on the test or she'll flunk out of the program. Uh, and there have been those that are put aside because they don't have they don't have what it takes to retain the information. And I know that we've got our smartphones and everything. And but if if you're in with a doctor or a nurse or someone, they're all the time looking to see uh, what to do. You begin to wonder about it a little bit. <clears throat> I'm not saying they never do because. Uh, nobody has a perfect memory, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. When we look at the book of Mark, the book of Mark is a short gospel, and we, we read in the other gospels things that we don't find in the book of Mark. Uh, 
we know that the, what we call the Christmas story is not in the book of Mark. Why didn't Mark put anything in there about the birth of Christ? All the, all the miracles that took place and so forth. Mark doesn't, Mark doesn't say anything about it. Mark just, Mark just uh, begins with uh, what is written in the prophets, and he doesn't go into that. Uh, except to say uh, that there was a fellow that came preaching and, and uh, he was saying prepare the way of the Lord and it was John the baptizer but we don't read anything about a way in a manger do we or uh, wise men any of that it's not there uh, so Mark comes to us in a different way uh, Mark wrote his gospel, to, it is believed, to convince Gentiles of the facts of Christianity. And uh, it's believed that he wrote it at Rome and that uh, it was probably written in the late 50s or 60s so we're talking uh, maybe 30 years after Jesus' death. Uh, who was Mark? Well, he was, he was a disciple. He was an apostle. Uh, he, was, he was a relative of Barnabas. You remember uh, Barnabas had a key role in carrying missionary news. Uh, Mark actually is the cousin. Now, the, the, the old King James calls him sister's son. It'd be Uncle Barnabas, but it's in the newer versions and studies. They say it, he's actually a cousin. Colossians 4.10 talks about him being a cousin uh, to Barnabas. Barnabas was a great man, and... Uh, Barnabas, of course, uh, went on the first missionary journey. And that's, we find Mark here and there. Mark was a believer, but he was, he was, not, he was not stable in his belief. He was not situated. He was not settled. So, <coughs> when, uh, when we... When we come across Mark, he's on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And that's in the book of Acts. Uh, and he's called John Mark. It's not just called Mark. He's called John Mark. And uh, he, he doesn't do very well on this missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they go out on their missionary en endeavor, and it says in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, that's John Mark, that's who we're talking about. That's 13.13 of Acts. John Mark, departing from them, went back, to Jerusalem, went back 
to mama probably, there was some scary things that went on. Uh, John Mark saw some, some things that maybe shook him up a little bit. Paul and Barnabas were dealing with uh, a sorcerer. Uh, it was the power of Satan, the power of the devil. That may have been what shook him and made him want to go back to Jerusalem, back home. So he departed. And you know there was trouble later on because cousin Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on the second missionary journey. And Paul said, mm -mm, nope, not going to happen because he, he uh, left and went back home. And he's not dependable. So he can't, he can't go. Well, Barnabas, you know, that's my cousin. I'd, I'd like for him to go. Barnabas was the son of consolation, wasn't he? He, he was a forgiving, big-hearted man. He was the guy that believed in, in Paul. When Paul was looked at as being a big threat, people didn't believe he really was converted. It was Barnabas that took him in. Now Barnabas is standing up for his cousin. Uh, but Paul didn't think it was a thing to do, so they formed two missionary teams. Uh, so we have, instead of Paul and Barnabas on the second journey, it's Paul and Silas uh, that go. And Barnabas takes Mark and he goes to Cyprus, uh, back to his home territory. And so... Uh, we have, we have a, a, shaky, a shaky beginning, but I'm glad to report that Mark changed and Mark was accepted later on by Paul because Mark proved himself. Uh, Barnabas brought him through a hard place and then guess who he started palling around with? Peter. And would Peter be able to help John Mark? Peter failed, didn't he? Peter failed big time. When Jesus was, was being on trial to actually led to his crucifixion, Peter denied him, didn't he? And the Bible tells us that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He let the Lord down. He, he thought he could do it. He thought he was strong enough. Have you thought you were strong enough and found out you failed and you've been disappointed in yourself? Some people just quit, but thanks be to God for people that say, I'm going to go on. Uh, I failed. I'm going to seek forgiveness, and I'm going to go forward. Peter did that. And we're told that Mark spent a lot of time with Peter. And I think, I think it helped forge his character. And I know that that's how we got the book of Mark. That these are things that happened that Peter experienced when he was walking with Jesus. So there are a lot of things that are not in here because... John Mark was not actually a follower of Jesus as far as one of his apostles, but uh, 
he, he was a believer and he was a supporter in putting out the word of truth. We're told by the early church fathers that everything that Mark said was not put in time sequence, but everything that he said, he made sure he said it accurately. He did not add anything to it. He did not enhance the story, uh, but he told it forthrightly on how it happened and how it took place. So uh, you don't see a whole lot of things as far as quotations from the Old Testament like you do in Matthew because Mark wasn't writing to Jews. He was writing to Gentiles, and they didn't know a whole lot about the Old Testament. Uh, so, yeah, there are some things, but uh, you also don't see a whole lot of, of uh, interaction. Well, maybe that's not the right word, because you do see the Pharisees. Sadducees are only mentioned once in Mark. That's in 1218, when they had that question about whose wife will she be uh, in the resurrection. It's the only place you see them. Uh, so there's not, there's not quite the same emphasis on Pharisees and you see them coming and challenging Jesus and being, being uh, uh, unaccepting of him and things that he says. So uh, he does carefully explain Jewish customs, Mark does, uh, like in 737, verses 3 and 4, and 14, 12, and 15, 42. And I'm not going to read those to you. You can go to them if you want to, or if you want the references, I can give them to you again after the service. Uh, so Mark's gospel has a fast pace with excitement, and it uses words like immediately and straightway. Um, there's not much, much uh, dead space. It's always something going on. Uh, Mark lists so many of the miracles of Christ. So think about it. When Mark's writing his gospel, the Luke and Matthew, they have incorporated a lot of things that had to do with Jesus' birth. Think about John. John... Uh, focuses on the last part of Jesus' life, and he goes clear back to the very beginning, and Jesus is the Word, and he was with God, and he was God. Uh, the same was in the beginning with God. So he goes clear back to the beginning of time, but he doesn't say anything really about the manger and so forth like that. So here's Mark. Mark just comes in and he starts and he, he, he says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you about somebody that is the son of God. Well, how can you, how can you say something like that? Rome had a lot of gods. They had a, they had a lot of deities that they worshipped. And so here's Mark writing to heathen people about somebody that he says really is divine. And he wants, he wants to make his point. 
he wants to say this so that Jesus is credentialed. That what he did, what he did, proves who he was. Okay? What he did proves who he was. And nobody else except divinity, the Son of God, could do these things. And, and his book is full of those things that he calls our attention to. Uh, he tells us that uh, as Jesus came to be baptized by this John the baptizer, who was, who was dressed in rough apparel, uh, John had said somebody else was coming. And, uh, and he said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here comes Jesus. And the Bible says that he was baptized of John. And verse 10 in chapter 1 says, Straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open. <laughs> And the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Uh, what a picture. It looks like heaven is verifying that this indeed is the person who is who he says he is. And this is what the voice says. Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, then he goes into the temptation. Not much on the temptation, is there? A couple of verses. Uh, we, don't, we don't have all the information that we have in the other book uh, about the temptation of Christ. Uh, but it says he was tempted of Satan. So he's verified by God the Father. And Satan tries to take him down. And they weren't able to do it. He, he resists. And the angels, we see the angels here. The angels come not while he's being tempted, but after he has been tempted. Because he's been 40 days and 40 nights without food. And so the scripture says that they came and ministered to him. And so uh, he was with the wild beast and Satan did his best. But Jesus withstood. So then uh, we go to where uh, Jesus begins his ministry. John the baptizer is put in prison. And uh, he, he begins his ministry. Guess what he begins his ministry by saying? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God's at hand. Repent. <laughs> Repent means turn from your sin. Folks, there's a lot of preaching today that doesn't have that in it. It's just believe, just believe. And we don't want to say anything negative because we might hurt somebody's feelings. But repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. He calls some that are fishermen to follow him. And it says uh, that as they follow him, 
he went to Capernaum straightway on the Sabbath day. So there's straightway. We're, we're moving. We're getting something done here. We're not just sitting around. And so they enter into the synagogue and he teaches. And they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority. He did have authority. And Mark is establishing that, that he is who we know he is, and these are the evidences of it. There was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. <clears throat> and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, we know who you are. So he's been acknowledged by God the Father. He's been in combat with Satan. Now he's in the synagogue. And here's a man with an unclean spirit. And he says, we know you. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. <clears throat> Jesus rebuked him. He didn't want the devils testifying about him. He said, hold your peace. And he said, come out of him. <clears throat> and when the unclean spirit had torn him, cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves. What new doctrine is this? For with authority, with authority, he's got, he's got the evidence. With authority, even the unclean spirits do obey him. He must be who he says he is because the devils are obeying him and his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And they came out of the synagogue, entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Uh, I don't know if Peter's wife was a good cook or not. Uh, but his mother-in-law was sick. And he came, Jesus came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And she started cooking. Praise the Lord. <laughs> she started fixing for him. She ministered to him. That's what that means. She took care of their physical needs. And now we're still here in the house at even when the sun did set. All these people know who he is. They brought all that were diseased, them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. Can you picture it? Here is the house, and it's evening time when things should be settling down. Instead... There's a whole multitude outside the house. And they're not just coming to say hi. They're coming crippled. They're coming with physical needs. Mark says they have all kind of diseases, diverse diseases. And they were, some of them were full of the devil. Do you think some women brought their husbands? <laughs> just a thought. <laughs> Well, maybe some men brought their wives. Yeah, we'll turn it the other way too, won't we? Because it's not just men that are full of the devil. There's some women. 
that are full of the devil too. So, Jesus suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So we're getting the witness. This is a person who is who we say he is. He is the son of God. And the devils know it. And uh, he rose up a good while before day, left the area. He had a big congregation there, but he said, let's go to the next towns. I've got to preach there also. That's why I came. There came a leper beseeching him, kneeling down to him. If you will, you can make me clean. And I can just almost imagine Peter telling this story. Can you imagine that this, this leper came to Jesus? He's kneeling down. He said, I know you can help me, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't hold back, saying, you're unclean. I can't have anything to do with you. Jesus, the Bible says, Mark records here, Jesus moved with compassion. He had a heart of tender mercy. And he reaches out his hand and touches the leper. Oh, that was a no-no. If you touch the leper, you're unclean. You could, you could get the leprosy. You're definitely unclean to go forth and do the things that the law requires. But Jesus touched him and said, I will. Be thou clean. He took care of his need. And the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he said, don't tell anyone, because Jesus already had enough word-of-mouth testimony with so many people coming. He didn't have a chance to speak to them about the things of the gospel. And the man didn't follow Jesus' direction. I guess if there would be anything that I would think the Lord could forgive... It would be somebody that can't keep their mouth shut about what Jesus did for them. I would think that would be one area that Jesus could be merciful. What do you think about that, Pastor? I think so. I think, I think Jesus could forgive that because too many of us are silent today about what Jesus does for us and about our hope when, when we arise for a new day to know that Jesus is there, that we have a hope that's beyond this life, beyond this world. They, they have used things to dull, people have used things to dull their senses and to help them get through a day. But there's a peace and a joy in the Christian's heart because of what God has done for us. <clears throat> and so, The story goes on, and it, it continues with the same excitement. Uh, he, he goes back into Capernaum, and uh, it's noise that he's in the house. Remember what they did. They had a fellow that was paralyzed, palsied, the Bible says. And they couldn't get to Jesus because there was too big a crowd. 
And so the scripture says that they tore up the roof, didn't they? They're going to get this fellow to Jesus, these four friends. And so they tear up the roof. They tear up this, this tile roof to get Jesus down to them. They broke it up, it says in verse 4. Let the bed down where the sick of the palsy lay. And Jesus saw their faith. When this fellow is lowered in front of Jesus, the scripture says, what did Jesus do? Your sins be forgiven you. Your sins be forgiven you. Jesus, he's paralyzed. Excuse me. He didn't come to get revived. He didn't come to get forgiven. Excuse me, Jesus. We've gone to all this work. We tore up the roof. And we let him down here in front of you because he's paralyzed. Your sins be forgiven you. And the religious leaders were aghast, weren't they? Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. He's committed blasphemy. Unless he's God. Of course, they didn't say that. Because they didn't believe he was. They didn't believe he was divine. Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus said, well, in essence, and I'm paraphrasing some, you think it's harder for me to forgive sins than it is to say, take up your bed and walk? So, he said to the paralyzed man, get up. Now, they couldn't see his sins being taken away from him, could they? They couldn't see that. But as surely as Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, his sins went away from him. Jesus, Jesus brought full release to him from the captivity of sin. Had he done something terrible that made him be paralyzed? I don't know. But he had four friends. If he'd been too bad a person... Maybe he wouldn't have had four friends, or maybe he'd have had more friends. I don't know. Anyhow, they couldn't see that Jesus' word actually took his sins away from him. But Jesus said, I can just as easily do that as I can say, take up your bed and walk. And he said that. And... He said, I want you to know that the Son of Man, which is a divine term, comes to us from the Old Testament, has power on earth to forgive sins. Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth. He was able to get through the crowd then, get out of there and the religious leaders are all upset 
Guess what the people are doing? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. They glorified God. We never saw anything like this. And the religious leaders are saying, it goes against all our rules and all of our laws. We're, we're, not, we're not equipped to handle this. Well, the multitudes follow him, and he calls others to follow him, disciples, and questions are asked of him. Uh, and skipping over, again, looking at the fast pace, and there are so many things, and I know I can't name out too many of them. But you know, one of, one of my favorites is there in Mark chapter 5 where they come over across the sea and they come to the Gadarenes. And you remember about the man there that was full of the devil. We don't even know the man's name, do we? When Jesus asked him what his name is, the devil's answer. Because he had a legion of devils in him. And the answer is legion. My name is legion. Uh, they had tried all kind of things to deliver him, but they couldn't deliver this man. They had tried chains. They, they had tried to tame him, but the fetters he broke in pieces, it says in verse 4. <coughs> he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the word that Mark uses, he plucked them asunder. You know, that kind of like feathers, <laughs> where, where you can just pluck something asunder. Uh, and he cries with a loud voice, Jesus, you son of God, of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said, come out of the van, thou unclean spirit. What is thy name? And that's where he says legion. And what does Jesus do? Well, likely some Jews were keeping swine illegally against the law. And these devils did not want to go into the deep, whatever that means. Consigned to the regions of the dam, perhaps. I do not know. But they wanted to go into the hogs. About 2,000 of them. It was a pretty big group of devils, wasn't it, that were in this man. They went into the hogs, and the hogs ran down a steep, steep place into the sea, and they were drowned in the sea. Which goes to prove somebody said that even an old hog would rather be dead than fool the devil. So Jesus brought deliverance to this man. Um, we find that Jesus is back over in the synagogue and he's in, uh, there's a certain ruler there. He says, my daughter is sick and I need you to come. And 
the scripture says that this ruler of the synagogue saw Jesus, fell at his feet. My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Great faith. Jesus starts to go with him. You know he got interrupted. You remember the story. Because there was a woman that had a hemorrhage. She had had a hemorrhage for many years. It's called an issue of blood. She had it for 12 years. And she's saying, if I can just get through the crowd, if I can just get through the crowd, and if I can just touch the hem of his garment, what do you Romans think about this Jesus now? Sounds pretty special, doesn't he? If I can just touch the hem of his garment. Jesus is in a hurry. He's got to get to Jairus' house because the little girl's at the point of death. And he pushes through, and the woman rather pushes through, and she's just able to touch the hem. Probably just a fleeting touch as he's moving. Remember how they made fun of him. Verse 30, Jesus knew that virtue had gone out of him. The woman was healed. The, the blood stopped. And he said, who touched my clothes? Isn't that something? Even, uh, even Jesus' clothes, the clothes that Jesus wore, even touching the clothes that Jesus wore could initiate a cure. And so... The disciples said, you see how you're getting thronged? Why are, you, why are you saying, who touched me? Can you imagine how they asked Jesus that and looked at him like, that's a strange question. Everybody's touching there. Everybody's running into everybody. But Jesus looked round about because he knew somebody got help. You know, a lot of people can hang around Jesus without getting any help. But when the touch of faith comes, when you have a need and you're desperate, Jesus can do something for you. You can rub shoulders with him all you want and go to church all you want. But until you get downright serious about it, whatever, I believe and I'm going to touch you. Well, the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, she was ready to testify, wasn't she? Because she thought she was in trouble. She fell down before him, told him all the truth. He said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, be whole of thy plague. Jesus makes every wit whole. He is able to forgive. He is able to cleanse. And somebody came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, too late. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter just died. But Jesus said, don't give up. Don't give up. He went to the house, and they were already chanting, doing their death wail. 
because this little 12 year old girl was gone but the scripture says that Jesus said she's just sleeping and they thought he was funny in the head for saying that they said we know she's dead but he put them all out didn't he except Peter James and John and her parents and he went in took her by the hand didn't he and said little girl arise and she that was dead set up, and he delivered her to her parents. You think, uh, Romans, we might have something going on here that you want to know a little more about? That this Jesus, he did all these miracles, he did all these wonderful things. This is who we're talking about. Yes, Mark wanted them to know that his Jesus was credible that he could do all these things. Yes, there was, there was the great confession of faith. Peter gave that over in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ. And he said, Don't tell anyone. And he began to tell them then, that he was going to be crucified. And Peter said, <clears throat> don't talk that way, Jesus. You know, you're riding the crest right now. You don't want to talk about death. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what was in man. He said, I'm going to suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days, I'm going to rise again. Peter went from being the great affirmer of Christ to the devil, didn't he? <laughs> because Peter thought Jesus needed a little schooling. So he took him aside. He said, don't talk like that. And Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. For you're not talking about the things of God, because this is a plan of God. For Jesus and Jesus other places references this Mark goes on and I can't go on and on because you won't want to stay and hear all this but I got it all written down I could give you a whole bunch more of the miracles that Mark recorded how about how about the 5,000 were fed but how about the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fish. Probably Gentiles that he fed that time was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This was Jesus that could do all these miracles. And yes, the devil acknowledged who he was, but people, people did, not, did not acknowledge. It came to pass just as Jesus said, and Mark goes on, and, and tells his story. And he says Jesus is arrested and Jesus is tried. Jesus is crucified. <clears throat> and yes, that crucifixion was a terrible time. Because the first three hours, there were those that were walking around cocky as could be. Ha, you that 
are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. If you're the Christ, come down. If you're who you say you are, come down. The chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. So that was the first three hours. The next three hours, 12 o'clock to 3, there was darkness. Probably made people think a little bit, don't you reckon? It was, out, it was not something that should have happened according to the time of year and so forth. Eclipse, there was darkness for three hours. Must have been an eerie time. And Jesus hung and suffered. And the Bible says, you know, when Jesus should have been weakened, from loss of blood and hanging on the cross for all that time and going through what he did the night before, he should have been very weakened. But Mark says that before Jesus died, and we have other accounts in the other Gospels, but we're, we're staying with Mark, Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost. And we know he said, into your hands I commend my spirit. So he wasn't weak. He, he didn't die as a victim. He died as a victor. He cried out in a loud voice. In a loud voice. He dismissed his spirit. And the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And we have, we have somebody that gets it. <laughs> what Mark is, the point that Mark is driving home. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. We have a testimony. Truly, this man was the son of God. You think that's all the centurion heard? I think he saw the whole thing going on. Jesus being whipped. Jesus being abused. Jesus being ridiculed. And yet not responding back in kind. Jesus' merciful words to those that are about him. His concern for others. I think the centurion saw it all. And then when he dismissed himself from his body into the hands of God, I think that was the icing on the cake, as we say it, because he said, this is, this is, truly this is the Son of God. And Mark said, it proved out. Because his body was taken down, there was a counselor, Joseph of Arimathea, he took the body of Jesus after it was released by Pilate and he put it in his own new tomb and the body was dressed for burial in the tomb. 
A stone was rolled to the door, but then after the Sabbath was passed, the story continued. Because in 16, Mark says, when the Sabbath was passed, the women came very early in the morning, the first day of the week, and they're thinking who's going to roll the stone away. But the stone had been rolled, rolled away, and they entered in, and they were told, he is not here. He is risen in verse 6. Go tell the disciples, he is risen. Do you think you can believe in a Jesus like that? That was Mark's aim. For people to know, and as I said, there are so many other miracles that Jesus did to prove he is who he said he is. And it's not who he was, he still is. Because he's alive. And we serve a living Savior, don't we? He conquered the grave, and he's with us today. So we can proclaim with authority that we believe, we believe in the Christ of God, we believe in Jesus. And what a wonderful thing. You know, some people say, oh, I'll be glad when Christmas is over. Some people can't get enough of it. Some people are done with it before it ever starts. But if you put your emphasis where it belongs, on the person of Jesus Christ, then you won't just have a season of Christmas, you'll have a life of Christmas. A Savior that came, that we're going to be with one of these days, if we live for Him in the glories that He's prepared for us. Will you stand with me?